What's happening, everybody? Welcome to Wednesday edition of Texas All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. So glad to be with you as we get ready for the Washington Commanders. Yes, I have to say that a few times. And I, for some reason, want to say salamanders, but that's not nice. The Commanders coming to town on Sunday. Kick is at noon. They might, more than likely, be having Chase Young, number two overall pick in the 2020 draft, back. So it's going to be a tough, tough fight. Now, to dive in tonight, well, we've got plenty. We're going to hear from Mark in the next segment. He's also going to stay with me for this first segment in just a second. We're also going to hear from Nico Collins, a little deep slant a little later in the show. We also are going to have men behind the mics. Mark Vandermeer is going to step in with Washington Commanders play-by-play man Bram Weinstein, who has called Commanders games now, I think, for a couple years. He also was formerly of ESPN. So that's where I heard that name. I was like, man, that name sounds familiar. Oh, yeah, he was on ESPN. He's not calling games. That's going to be fun. Listen uh, to that a little bit later in the show. Plus, we will have In the Lab. All right, so that sets up the show so we can then hand the ball off to general manager Nick Casario. Now, Mark and I are going to stay. He doesn't just go for the next 17, 18 minutes. Uh, we ask him questions, and it's interview style. That's right about now. Joining us now on Texans Radio, it's Texans General Manager Nick Casario. And, Nick, we got your memo about we must wear vests from now on. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Johnny and I took it upon ourselves to wear vests today. And it's vest weather, so Well it's done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're you want to make climate. you... Want to make you uh, fit in with Great. us? Yeah, yeah. Feel exactly. at home, you know, <laughs> no, you know, you really don't want to fit in with us, Nick. <laughs> Nick's in a good spot. <laughs> All right, so here we are. We're over the halfway point of the season. There isn't really a halfway point with a 17-game schedule. But what are you seeing, Nick? We see progress in so many different areas. You're just not getting that fourth-quarter execution that you want, but you have your opportunities. Yeah, I think when you look at the game there the other day, and then and we'll talk about Washington here in a little bit, but kind of looking at that game, I'd say the difference in the Giants game was where the turnovers in the red area, um, you know, was the red, red area overall, red zone mm-hmm. kind of execution, um, third down, and they kind of had the advantage in some of the situational elements. So, you know, it was a one-score game there, so when you turn the ball over twice in a red area, it's anywhere from 6 to 14 points that you, you would think you're going to put on the scoreboard there. So, it's really just executing the situational plays, and you know we have the opportunity to make those plays on both sides of the ball. Like we just have to be able to finish. We have to be able to make them. You know, long touchdown uh, catch for the Giants came on third down, good rush, miss a tackle, and it leads to a long play, a big play. So those plays they just kind of add up over the course of games. And then, you know, when you look at what happened last night, you know, with Washington and Philly, I mean, really the difference in the game. Where the I mean, there's a four turnovers, there's really three turnovers. The last game, the last play of the game mm-hmm. was, you know, they were just trying to keep the ball alive, but. Came down to turnovers. Um, Washington had 40-minute time of possession, um, and they were good on third down. So those are the the plays, and when you look at the game on the whole, like in the end, it's going to come down to those factors, and the team that has the advantage in those situations typically is going to end up on the on positive end of the scoreboard. Nick, Jordan Akins keeps, quite simply, keeps making plays. Oh, you throw him a screen, you take it 46 yards, he makes a catch on the out route uh, earlier. For, he just keeps making plays. How much has he given this offense as he's come back to Houston? Yeah, Jordan's been a pretty consistent player over the course of his career. Um, when you look at kind of when he first came in the league and to where he is now, he's always been able to kind of produce at different points in a passing game. So he's had a good attitude. He's had a good approach. Um, he's had a good mindset. He's, he's 
has good skills for the position. Um, he catches the ball well. He's got good hand-eye coordination. He's good with the ball in his hands. And he's taken advantage of his opportunities when they've been presented to him. He hasn't been throwing the ball much, but when he's thrown the ball, he's made the plays and he's finished them. And that's what you really want to see on any player. I see something maybe different about Jordan. He started playing baseball. He's a major, or a minor league baseball player, professional baseball player. Then he decides to go into football. And this dawned on me because I was watching a show about two sport athletes um, on Sunday. How important is it for guys, or maybe it's not, how important is it for guys to play multiple sports and how does that add to their football prospects? It's a really interesting question. Um, I think it speaks to the individual as an athlete and just kind of some of their skills. But I would say on a larger scale, and this is more into like a philosophical discussion with, with kids in their younger age, I think you've seen a tendency more to specialization. Um, and in some respects, it's good. But in other respects, you really want them to participate in as many sports as possible and let their kind of skills kind of come to the fore and come to fruition. So in Jordan's case, the fact that he could play two professional sports at a high level kind of speaks to his, I would say, skill and his overall athleticism. But I think even with younger kids and younger generations, I think kind of moving away from the specialization, because certain sports may teach you different things. Um, the team concept is always going to apply when you play a team sport, but there are certain things whether guy's on a basketball court, how he moves, how he jumps, how he changes direction, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate onto the football field, but you can certainly see some things and measure some things. So personally, I'm more a proponent of try as many sports as you can, allow your kids the opportunity to participate in as many sports, and at some point they have to make a decision, they make a decision. But we've seen, you know, more and more in that. I mean, even, you know, looking at Russell, you know, Wilson's situation, mm -hmm. you know, he could have potentially played baseball, even – you know, with Tom, you know, going back to him, you know, he was a pretty accomplished catcher. So at some point you're going to have to declare, but it really speaks to, I would say, the individual and their work ethic, their mindset, and their overall athleticism, and then taking those skills and applying them to whatever sport that they end up deciding to play. That'd be hard to play till 45 as a catcher. Your <laughs> knees are not going to handle that very well. Probably would not happen. I mean, it's hard to say quarterback would be better, but my gosh. All right, let's talk about the defense a little bit, Nick. You're playing a lot of young guys, Christian Harris in the fold here, and you look at Petrie and Stingley on the back end, and I know that stopping the run has been difficult, but you had your moments against the New York Giants, made some key stops to enable the offense to move the football a bit. Yeah, all three players, they've really all had their moments. I mean, Christian hasn't played. He's played the least um, just because he missed some time. So this is his, whatever, third or fourth game or fourth game coming up, whatever he's played. But you're seeing improvement from him, and he's an athletic guy. He's explosive. He shows up around the ball. You know, he's a good tackler. Um, you know, Jalen, I think everything gets magnified because of the one play, but he's actually made some improvements in some of the areas and some of the things that we've asked him to work on. And I'd say Sting overall has been, you know, fairly consistent with his performance. So for those three players in particular, I mean, Kurt's played a lot as well, mm -hmm. but when you look at there's a handful of players that are playing defensively that are younger players that are rookies, they're kind of really, it's halfway through the year. So we still have a big stretch. We actually talked a little bit about this yesterday as a kind of a staff, a sports performance staff. They have to do more to kind of work to court to, to get to the end of the season here now I mean because they'd essentially be at the end of their college season getting ready for a bowl game and we still have eight more games that are remaining so your routine your preparation your due diligence how you prepare your body what goes into your you know body on a day-to-day -day basis how you sleep how you recover it's going to take a lot of work and it's going to take a lot of commitment and you really have to be very disciplined in your approach so I mean it'll be a big challenge for those players I mean I think 
when you go through the course of the week, your process is going to lead to whatever happens during the course of it's not just show up on Sunday and play. There's so much that goes into it. So it applies to younger players. It applies to veteran players as well. And as a team, like we just have to continually take that same mindset and we have to turn a page and we have to get ready to play the commanders who are a really good football team. Nick, you sort of stole my thunder, which was, is there a rookie? Well, is that a real thing to the rookie we all talk about in the media but is there really a rookie wall where players just hit it and like man I think it's more the realization there's still a lot of work ahead so yeah. I mean the season is the season so we're gonna end up playing by the end of the year 20 games when you factor in the preseason so it's a lot of football so which just reinforces everything that goes into being a player your rest your recovery your training your rehab, your pre-practice prep, getting your body ready. So it's as much physically as important. And there's a mental component as well. I'd say the mental fatigue is probably more than anything what maybe starts to wear on players because it's it takes a lot of work and there's a lot that goes into it. And each week presents its own new challenges. And you have to be willing to say, all right, we got to move forward. All right, whatever happened on Sunday, okay, the day our day off is on Monday. All right, what do I need to get done on Monday? And then come in Tuesday with the right mindset and then have a good Tuesday, have a good Wednesday, have a good Thursday, have a good Friday and the night before the game, and then go out there and play on Sunday. And really your process is ultimately what's going to help you and how we practice. Hopefully that leads to good execution or better execution. So it's really probably more mentally fatiguing. Physically, you can do things to help prepare your body to yeah. kind of withstand and our you know, strength conditioning staff does a great job of you know, getting guys in the weight room. We've seen guys actually get stronger during the course of the season. We saw it last year with some of the younger players. You're seeing it with, with some of our you know, rookie players as well. So if you're committed, you can actually make improvements in a weight room. I know everybody says, well, you can't really make strides during a season. Well, that's kind of a fallacy. Like You can get as much out of it as you put into it, um, and it ultimately is going to – the idea is to help you perform on a field on Sunday. Nick, Johnny and I and everybody else, I guess, we get peppered with questions about the quarterback position. How do you evaluate that and going beyond the wins and losses and the pluses and the minuses and looking at the big picture of it all? Yeah, I mean, it's probably one of the hardest positions to play in sports, and there's so many factors that can win to play in that position at a high level. So I think everybody is always looking for kind of instant success. Okay, said player comes in, he plays, and all of a sudden he's going to develop into this great player. I would say that's position probably more than anything doesn't really work that way. So it's about just being consistent. It's about preparation. It's about going through the process on a week-to-week -week basis. And quite frankly, you have to learn from some things. So And you learn by playing. So I'd say a lot of quarterbacks go through that in the league. I mean, we'll talk about Washington here in a minute. But you look at you know Heineke's story. You know, here's a guy who, you know, wasn't drafted or, you know, draft, I, I don't think he was drafted. I can't remember exactly, but very productive. I mean, essentially bounced around for multiple years. He was here, he was here five years Houston. ago. Yeah. You know, we had him in New England on a practice squad. He was almost out of football. And, you know, here he is, you know, playing quarterback at a high level. So there's no magic formula. I mean, that position, there's so much that goes into it. Um, but again, and we've talked about this, playing quarterback, it's about making the right decisions, about understanding what to do. It's about understanding as much what you have to do is understanding what's going on, on the other side of the ball and just try to make the right decision for the team at all costs. So sometimes it goes the way you want it. Other times, okay, it didn't go that way. And then if you just understand and learn why did that happen or you know what can I improve, how do I improve it, that's how you get better as a player. So it, it's very challenging. It's very demanding. Um, that position is probably more scrutinized than any other position because that player touches the ball and, you know, 99, 100% of the plays or just whatever it is. So you just want to try to mitigate the downside and try to mitigate the errors as best you can, understanding that part of the 
position, you're going to have some bad plays. But how do you bounce back? How do you handle those plays? And how do you make sure they don't happen again? Nick, we can obviously see what a quarterback does. He goes up, you know, line scrimmage, he calls a play, throws a pass, does all those sort of things. And maybe there's no formulaic way of, of, of putting this together, but how much is the value of the other stuff off the field, in the locker room, in the meeting room? How much of the value of a quarterback is there? Or does that vary from GM to GM, coach to coach, player to player, how you look at that? Yeah, I'd say generally speaking, any good player, all those factors that you mentioned, John, are important. So it all goes into it. Like, if you want to be a good player, here are the things that you have to do. And maybe some positions may require more than others. I mean, every position is important, but there's certain things that pertain to that position that you have to make sure that you do. So if you want to be a good player, you have to be committed. you got to be disciplined. You have to put the work in behind the scenes. It's really like we talked about, not just show up on Sunday and play. There's so much that goes into um, leading up to the game. It's understanding the opponent's personnel. Who are the individuals that are playing on that side of the ball? Okay, that's number one. Number two, what's their scheme? How do they play? All right, how do they play situationally? Early downs, here's what they do. Okay, when they put this package on the field, here's how they're going to play. When you get the third down, here's the challenges they present. Understand where your problems are. When they get to the red zone, here are the things they do in a red area. So all those things is constantly changing, constantly moving, and you have to continually educate yourself. It takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of commitment. And it takes a lot of work. So in the end, it's all about the work. If you put in the work, you'll have a chance to, to be successful. And then you're relying on, again, we play a team sport. So quarterback relies on everybody else around them doing their job. So the offensive line is important. The tight ends are important. The running backs are important. The receivers are important. Everybody has an important job, an important role. And if everybody has the same level of commitment, puts that same amount of time into it, that's ultimately what you want to see. All right, Nick, last few weeks it feels like we've seen defensive tackle after defensive tackle giving the Texans problems, and it goes back to Simmons, and obviously this last game with Dexter Lawrence. What about Jonathan Allen and the guys the Washington Commanders present to you this weekend? Yeah, I'd say collectively it's probably a good of a group, kind of one through four on the front, as we'll probably see all year. So, I mean, two outstanding players inside and Payne and Allen. I mean, the way that they I mean, they complement each other, but they're both equally skilled. I mean, not just because they went to the same college, but they're really good players. They're tough. They're instinctive. They're very athletic. I would say, you know, Allen's leverage, his quickness, his ability to win in short spaces is as good as anybody in the league. And Sweat is a good edge player. I mean, Chase Mm -hmm. hasn't even played this year. He's been on PEP since the beginning of the year. But you're talking about four first-round picks, so they've obviously made a significant Mm -hmm. investment in that group. Um, you know, drafted Davis in the first round last year at linebacker. But their front, I mean, you have to account for their front on every play. So got to keep the passing game moving. You're going to have to change the timing of the passing game a little bit. You know, there's certain things that you're hopefully going to be able to try to take advantage of or exploit. But, I mean, they have a really good group. And, again, Chase hasn't even been on the field. So good front. Uh, Linebackers do a really good job. We talked about Davis here a little bit. And the guy um, who's been injured here the last few weeks who might be one of the better players on defense is Holcomb. I mean, he had 150, 160 tackles last year. Highly instinctive player, runs well. Um, They've gotten good play on the perimeter from Fuller and St. Just. Um, They're kind of a big nickel team, so they play three safeties. So Curl's on the field, Forrest is on the field, McCain's on the field. Those guys have a lot of experience. So, I mean, they're a really good defensive team with a lot of really good players, so they're certainly going to present some challenges. Offensively, is their identity just they're going to – they're going to ram Brian Robinson in the running game just right down your throat. Is that, I mean, to be expected with, with us having some struggles stopping the run, 
Is that what you expect, that you're going to get a lot of Brian Robinson and the running backs on Sunday, Nick? It's interesting. They're kind of an 11 personnel team, more 11 than 12, but 11 and 12. But they run the ball quite a bit from 11. And kind of the way they use Samuel, they, they move. He's a very versatile player. So he's in the slot. He's in the backfield. And Robinson, I mean, to his credit, he's, you know, endured um, – had to deal with a lot of adversity early on in the year, but he's done a phenomenal job. Was a really productive player, you know, last year at Alabama. I mean, he's big, he's strong, he's hard to tackle. And Gibson presents as many problems kind of in a different way. So two good really two really good backs. So they ran the ball forty seven times last night. So it was really about volume of run. So they controlled field position. They controlled the game. They had forty minutes time of possession. So we're gonna have to be able to to stop the run and tackling those guys will be a little bit of an issue. But the way they do it may be a little bit different than maybe some other teams because they're kind of eleven personnel running team. Not they've used the fullback at different points, but they're not really a big twenty one team. But two good backs. Um, we talked about Samuel a little bit, and McLaurin is as good of a receiver as in the league. I mean, from the minute he stepped on the field, I mean, he's been productive, and he's he's big, and he's fast, like really, really fast. Um, and he's really smart, and he's tough. Um, Samuel gives him some flexibility, and they've gotten decent play out of the tight ends. You know, Bates kind of has his role. The kid Rodgers from OU, who's a rookie, he's actually done some decent things. Who You know, former quarterback, him and – you look at a couple of their tight ends, two former quarterbacks, yep. Logan Thomas and Rodgers, mm-hmm. play quarterback transition to tight end. And mm-hmm. they've gotten good quarterback play. I mean, Taylor, you know, uh, Heineke's done a good job. I mean, he's 3-1 and one over the last four games, kind of stepping in the lineup for Wentz. So we'll have to prepare for both quarterbacks. But, I mean, they've played well. They're 5-5, five and five, but their record, I'd say, is a little bit deceiving. Um, you know, a couple of those games early in the year, the Tennessee game was a one-possession game, and it was a play down here in the goal line was pretty much was the difference in the game. Um, so they had a chance barely to win the game at the end of the game. So, I mean, they're a good team. They beat a good team last night. So, I mean, they present a lot of challenges overall as a team. Are they a good lesson for, hey, it's a long season and you never know what's going to happen because a lot of people wrote them off early on? Yeah, it's an interesting uh, question. Uh, records really ultimately don't matter. What matters is how you play. So they had some maybe struggles a little bit early. They got to a point that Carson got hurt, uh, and then Heineke had you know going to lineup, and it's kind of like, all right, which way is this going to go? But I mean, they put themselves in a good position. So each week is his own entity. You got to get ready for the challenges that the opposing team is going to present. So they're a good football team. I mean, I'd say they're probably a better football team than people realize. So they're certainly going to present some challenges. I just can't get out of my head as we went through the schedule. You know, the schedule was released back, released back in May. We're going through each team. We're like, oh, that Washington defensive line. Holy smokes. And the ones that we have seen for the last how many yeah. ever weeks. But we didn't know when we were going to see Chase Young or if we were going to see Chase Young. Nick, with a guy like that, that coming out super talented, but he's gone through an ACL tear. Don't know how much he'll end up playing. But in preparation for somebody like that, that you know has an opportunity to wreck the game, at least the last version of him that we've seen, does that make preparation for him any different? Do you prepare for him as, okay, we don't know if he's going to be 100%. How do you go about with a guy like that, Chase Young, coming off the edge? How do you prepare for him any differently? Yeah, you prepare for everybody. You really don't know their injury situation, whether or not they're going to be available. But it goes back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, just understanding the player and understanding the personnel that you're playing against. What are his strengths? What are some of the things that he does well, which I'd say his particular situation, there's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and maybe what are some things that you might be able to exploit? So this game is about personnel. It's about taking advantage of your strengths against their perceived weaknesses. So you prepare for all the players. Um, they have a lot of good players to prepare for. We certainly have to be cognizant of, of him, 
But we'll have to prepare during the course of the week kind of both ways. If he's on the field, okay, here's where he's going to be. If he doesn't play, they're going to play the way that they've played here over the last 10 games, whatever it's been. And they've all played well, and they've gotten good production from the players on the edge. Nick, we have all these theme games, and this is a huge one on Sunday with Salute to Service. What does that mean to you? Yeah, I think it's just in recognition of the people that have given us the opportunity to do what we can do on Sundays. So just to recognize the military, their influence, their presence, what they've done for us. Last week was Veterans Day, so which recognizes all the veterans that have been in the military in some capacity. Um, and who have given uh, made a lot of sacrifices for our country. So I think in you know we have some people individually who have been touched, who have had family members that were either in the military, had an experience. I mean, we live in a great country, and we all reap the benefits of some of the things that we're able to do on a day-to-day basis, and the military is a huge part of that. So for, uh, for us to honor that and recognize that, I think it's important um, to always kind of put – there's things more important in football. This certainly is at the top of the list, so it's nice to kind of recognize that and just understand the significance they've had for our country. Nick, very well said. One question I was thinking about is we're wearing all of our vests. We're starting to yeah. put our cold clothes on. Mm-hmm. feel like we dodged a bullet. November 13th in New York City or in New Jersey can be very, very cold. <laughs> but it got me thinking, what's the coldest game you've ever been a part of? Yeah, I'd say the coldest game is probably when we played uh, Tennessee in the, the, uh, in the divisional round. Um, I want to say we went out there for warm-ups, and with the wind chill, it was 40, 35 oh. to 40 below zero. Ooh. I mean, it was as cold a game. It was just <laughs> bitterly cold. It's funny. I actually went out there. I think I had a vest on, but you know, I had my gloves on. I'm not a big like hat guy. Yeah. But I walked out and I said, "Well, man, this is this is cold." And I yeah. mean, a ball in those situations is hard as a rock. Yeah. So yeah. there wasn't much offense in the game. Like we were actually able to hit um, a deep pass, uh, Bethel Johnson actually, and yeah. I can't remember it was a third down play, but. And it was a great catch. I mean, in a cold ball, hard to handle, throwing yeah. the ball in those conditions. So that was a big play. Um, it kind of came down to the end there. I think we broke up a pass from McNair. Um, but that game was as cold of a game as I've probably been associated with. So mm-hmm. there's been some other games where the wind was blowing. And one year we played in Buffalo. Literally, the wind was blowing 70 miles an hour, and the goalposts you know, were tilted. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's weather in the Northeast. So we're prepared for anything. Though. Mark would have needed an extra seat up in the booth because my butt would have been, <laughs> yeah. been in the sideline at 30 below. Andre brings a space heater. So we're all set up there, Johnny. We'll make marshmallows. Nick, thanks a lot. Good luck this weekend. Thanks, guys. Oh, yeah, that's true. The space heater comes out when it gets uh, below 50. Below 50. <laughs> my goodness. My man, Dre. All right, we got some fun stuff coming with Mark Vandermeer going to stay with me, including my favorite all-time favorite sideline story. That's next on Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. John Harris here, and Mark Vandermeer stays with me. He is there. Mark, it's the Reds. I almost said it. I almost oh said it. Boy. I stopped myself. It's the Commanders coming in. It's funny because I was listening to Sean and Seth, and they they wouldn't even call them the Commanders. They're calling them the Commandos. Right. And I call them the Commodores sometimes. Right. So we don't know what's going to happen with the ownership. Mm-hmm. But let's just say you had $8 billion in your pocket, and you're right. like, you know what? I want to own a football team. And you bought the Commanders. Would you change the name? Ooh, that's a good question. You know, it's funny because I was cruising around their YouTube page, Mm -hmm. and they have talk shows and everything else. They have London Fletcher hosting one, and they have Santana Moss there, and they have a player guest. Right. And Moss is wearing the new gear. Yeah. And London Fletcher's there wearing the new gear. And I'm thinking, well, 
I don't know if that's them embracing it or they have to or whatever the case may be. Johnny, with all the names that were suggested, I don't know why they couldn't go with Red Tails. Yeah. After that fighting crew, right. the African American fighting fighting crew, right. uh, air patrol, whatever they were, they were uh, they were uh, military servicemen, right. and I think that that was pretty cool. That right? And awesome. I saw a whole display on them in that uh, flight museum down at Ellington that yeah, I told yeah, you yeah, about yeah, that yeah. I was talking about recently, yeah. and I thought that would have been a good name for them. I wonder why they couldn't or didn't or wouldn't or whatever right. the case may be. Look, commanders. You'll get used to it like you get used to everything, right? A name is a name. Google. You got used to that, right? It's a sports team. I know the purists don't like it. Oh, have we heard the Bram interview yet? We're going to hear that later. Yeah, we'll hear Bram's interview later. Bram Weinstein, play-by-play voice of Washington. I ask him about Hail to the, hmm, are they using that song? That answer comes along. Hail to the commanders. In this this interview, well... Wait, in this interview, he uses the R word all over the place. <laughs> he grew up in Washington. Oh, he that went, you, that's well, hard. That's the greater hard. Washington area. Yeah, grew yeah, up yeah. in Maryland, right across, right across the D.C. border, and went to American University in D.C. And so he's a total D.C. guy, even though he spent time at ESPN. Good interview. Wait for that. Wait yeah, for it. I, I think I, I got a feeling that that's gonna that's gonna be fun stuff. But I, Sean and Seth mentioned one of the names they were considering were Warhogs. It's like, man, that's kind of a warhogs. The warhogs, the warhogs pound the ball. I mean, that would have been not bad. I would have, I would have liked that. Because they also the mentioned hogs. red tails as well, and I thought that would have been, that would have been pretty cool too. I think either one of those names would have been, would have been uh, really sweet. But I think I would change it. I don't know. There's something about commander. Maybe it's just me because every time I say commander, I think commander Cody, Cody Carlson. Yeah. For the Oilers, that's what I think of, and so I did just, eh, and it it feels like that team, the team, the artist formerly known as the Washington Football Team, it, I don't know, it just feels like something a little stronger with that team, and especially the way that team plays. All right, so Commander to me is strong, but it's like it's a leader, right? They're all yeah. leaders, and I get it, but it's also a group of men. You want people to band together. Yeah. Commander sounds like too many cooks, too many commanders right. in the kitchen. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I know we've had generals before, like the New Jersey generals and Washington generals, but that's the team that took on the Harlem Globetrotters. They never would have gone there. Warhogs, I don't mind. We don't have to rename them right now, but I'm, I'm with you because here's the deal. Washington football team was cool. That yeah. was kind of cool. Yeah. The WFT. Right. Not the WTF, but the WFT. In Washington football team, there was a cool factor to it that people sort of liked. And even though it wasn't going to be the permanent name, you had to go somewhere really cool from there. They didn't. Yeah, I think they could have really capitalized. But eh, we'll see what ends up happening to that franchise. This one's going to be a fun one for a number of reasons. But it's also a look back. We were talking about this a little bit. And I mentioned this on Texans matchup. My first game down on the sidelines was against the artist formerly known as the Redskins in 2014. First game of the year, yeah. Bill O'Brien's first game. I'm on the sidelines, and we we had done preseason games, so we'd gone through the process. But now it's a now it's a game. Why would and I was pulling down some audio from that game. You mentioned something really interesting, just about the 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 din and the energy in the crowd mm-hmm. at various uh, various points. However, what you failed to remember mm-hmm. is my absolute favorite story that has ever happened down on the sidelines. 
in that particular game. In the Washington game. In the Washington game. So you're not game. talking about Arizona where you're no. talking a lot. No. Okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> I listen, I will defend myself on that because no, I didn't I know. know that Dre heard me too. But now that I know. So late third quarter, and I went Ooh. last night to go find <laughs> it. Now I know where you're going. <laughs> you, you went to go good. find it? I went to go find it because last night I wanted to go find it for Texas matchup because I did on Texas matchup. Oh, I always do the ultimate 11 plays of the game. So I had ultimate 11 plays from the Giants game. Then I went back and I did a week 10 review, which I focused on the commanders and Eagles and the bills and the Vikings, man, there are some great calls. I don't know who the play by play was for Fox, um, along with Moose Johnson. I don't know who he works with, but he, his energy level was like Gus Johnson hype for Buffalo, Minnesota. Ooh. It was kind of cool. I, I kind of liked it. And there were so many big plays in that game. So I did that. And the last one, I was like, okay, well, I've got, because that's how I go, I go about doing it. We, if I'm recording it, which matchup I have to record because it goes out to all the affiliates, I always look at it and go, okay, well, I've spent this much time here, this much time, do the math. And all right, well, I've got about five to seven minutes. What am I going to do with this final segment? I'm like, it's the commanders, formerly the Redskins. I know exactly what I'm doing, but I got to go find the audio. So I went, and it's obviously not a highlight. So my first game on the sidelines, and we get to the third quarter, highly intense game, and Daryl Morris had just made a tackle. And you were talking about Daryl Morris being someone they just had claimed on waivers because they had claimed Maris Johnson, mm. Daryl Morris, maybe one other player. They claimed like three players, and they were all playing in that game. And you were describing Daryl Morris, and then all of a sudden, whoosh, silence. Power goes out. Silence. And what you can't tell, what I obviously couldn't tell, I had no idea what the weather was doing. I didn't even know. I was so locked in on the game. But there was a massive, massive thunderstorm that hit our, our line going back to Sports Radio 610. Yeah. And so it's even more so now, but I'm so used to having you in my ears as there is a play going on. It's almost disconcerting to be out on the field. Like, I'll tell you, late in a half, Yeah. I'll say, out to get lovey. Right. Because I know I have to get my phone. I got to turn you off and then wait for him. So if there's some sort of commotion, I'm not hearing you. And it's weird. Well, all of a sudden, I didn't hear you. I'm like, yeah, where, where is it? And where then I hear the noise. This, I hear this commotion. I hear like this commotion going on. Like, why are we after? Like, I don't know what's really going on. And I just realized, okay, something bad's happening. And I had come from a radio station, which us going off the air happened if the wind blew. So I was <laughs> used to that. So now I'm sitting here thinking, all right, okay, I guess it just happens. Yeah. It's never happened before. It's never happened since. So I've realized how unique it was. And then all of a sudden, there's kind of a commotion, and there's probably like two or three seconds of silence. And then I hear this. <laughs> followed by, get me the bleep back on the air. You saw Bad Mark. Bad Mark made an appearance that day in the booth. What I remember more than anything else, when you and I were getting to know each other back in 2014, at some point, you said to me, oh, I have that side. Now, I've seen that side since. <laughs> but I, I didn't up until that day. And I just, <laughs> I died laughing. And I'm telling you, I laughed even harder because a couple more minutes later, all of a sudden, Dre, and, and Dre at that point, I didn't, I mean, Dre, we, we had done the broadcast together, but we really didn't know each other. It's kind of silent after all that. And then Dre just goes, Johnny. 
<laughs> we're off the air. <laughs> like, just kind of deadpanned it. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, man, you okay? Like, yeah, I'm all right. And we literally just started talking about what was happening in the game. That's how we kind of started our friendship was that during that mm. particular moment. I didn't realize. I went back and I listened to the entire thing. The entire thing. We were off for 20 minutes. What? We were off for 20 minutes. 20 there minutes. There were 20 minutes of commercials. There were three different commercials of me doing like a Bud Light ad. Oh, I remember you doing the Bud Light I ads. did a Bud Light ad. Oh, and I'm like, I don't even yeah. drink, but I'm doing the Bud Light ad. <laughs> so, I remember this. It went for 20 minutes. Was it really 20 minutes? It was 20 minutes. But you know what? There was a like end of quarter and a break and yeah, another break. Yeah. So we didn't miss a ton of action, but right. we missed some. But what do you remember after you immediately came back? What did I say? I don't remember. No. It I was how out. you were doing it. You were doing it on the phone. Oh, yeah. I was doing it on the phone because were, they finally patched the phone through. That was right. what I was so upset about. Right. I mean, I was upset enough that we lost a line, which goes from the stadium at the time through a, a network control center right. at the Astrodome. And that's not a station thing. That's like a phone company thing. Right. And then we use different technology now. But then back to the station. I think the Astrodome got hit by lightning right. and knocked that's out exactly the whole center. Hit right and next to us. My upset level was increased when I said, okay, that happened. Put me on a cell phone right. so we can get the game audio on the air. Even though it's going to be crappy quality, it'll be better than not being on the air. Yeah. But they couldn't even do that. That's when I totally lost it, Johnny. So Totally lost it over that. We can't patch a phone through? What yeah. is this? I could do that at every radio station I ever worked in, including Clearfield, Pennsylvania. Yeah. But we can't do it here in a major market? That upset me. All right, don't get me started. I'm getting upset again thinking about no, it. No, well, we eventually... Eventually, we start there. Start a commer another commercial, and then you hear you talking on what sounds like a cell phone. And I just remember talking about it later. You and Trey are like passing, passing, it passing the cell phone back and, and forth. And he's tackled by D'Amico Ryan's. <laughs> and then you would hand it to him, yep. and then he would say his and give it back to you. And I just remember we finally got back on in the fourth quarter. Uh, at some point, and then you threw it down at me, and I'm like, "Hey, long time no see." I mean, I just kind of chimed yeah. in with something funny, but it was. It just, A, was so unlike you to go. I'd never heard you get mad like that. But the best part was just, was Dre just sort of deadpanning things that were going on. He can remain totally calm at times where you think somebody wouldn't be. And totally. Dre and I are seldom agitated or animated at the same time yeah, right. negatively. So, but we both have our moments. Uh, the, look, it's a very. People don't understand, and you and I were just watching the TikTok of Paul Allen from yeah, the, Vikings the Vikings during yep. that Vikings-Bills yep. game, and it's right. awesome, and he's going crazy, and he's he always has, and he's he's a terrific play-by-play -play announcer. But it's a very emotional, high-stress environment yes. in a good way, right? There's a lot of cool stuff happening. There are a lot of aggravating things happening, and when you have technical difficulties on top of oh, that, yeah. and you just want to do the best job possible for the listeners and the sponsors and everybody involved, the fans— it just gets crazy when things don't go right, right that you should have going right, that you do have some control over. Even when you don't have control over them, you get crazy as well. But that's part of it. I love it, Johnny. Well, I mean, it's also adapting, too. Like, how do you adapt? How do you how do you make it work? And, and we eventually made it work and got through that broadcast. I just – it was just odd, I know, for me to – 
all of a sudden we're off the air. That was and, Washington. And it was against Jeez. Washington. It was my very first game and on the sidelines. And of course I'm thinking, oh, okay. But Dre was so he was just he was so funny. He's kinda like kind of giving me a little bit of a play by play that's going on at one so, point. At one point he goes, Yeah, Mark's pretty mad. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I, I was like, Yeah, Dre, I, I I heard him. But but you're right. It's interesting because there are moments during the game when Dre's upset about something that happened on a field, mm-hmm. but you're you and I are pretty calm. There are moments when I get upset about something and you guys you guys will calm me down. But you said something that was interesting to me is we were watching Paul Allen and they videoed Paul, Paul Allen up in the booth for the Vikings Bills game and they put it on their Vikings TikTok and I think it's good and we, we got to do that for you. But there's a guy up there and he's like a younger guy. I think he's maybe the spotter or whatever, but He's hilarious because he's kind of reacting with them. He's kind of grabbing him and hugging him. And you said something. You're like, "Oh, I that you you almost have to keep people at arm's no, length." Yeah. And Hensley knows this. Robert Hensley, our producer, sometimes he'll like raise his arm to signal something or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And he'll realize that I didn't need to know that at that yeah, point because yeah. I'll I always react to him. I think he pointed to Brandon Cooks coming out of the locker room. Cooks went into the locker room for a moment the other night, the other day. Yeah. Or he or to the tunnel or something. Yeah. He he was walking on the sideline back toward the bench area yeah. and came back into the game. So whatever it was, right. who cares? Right. But he was pointing to him and and he saw me react. Right. Nothing happened, but he's like, Oh, sorry. Like he he gestured to say, Oh, sorry. Because I know you don't like yeah, that. Yeah. Because I react to everything, you know, because yeah, yeah. usually it's something very important when he's yeah. trying to get my attention. So those little things happen. By the way. Robert Griffin, RG3, was yeah. quarterbacking Washington was. that day in that 2014 opener, one of the few times the Texans have ever played this franchise. So I guess Cousins must be on the roster at the time as a backup, right? I mean, he's drafted yeah. the same yeah, year. Yeah, he he's was. A, he's a backup. Yeah, Because absolutely. eventually he starts. And, 2014. What year yeah. did he go to? I mean, that's RG3's, yeah. RG3's third year. Yeah, that, yeah, he had to be there. In fact, I think it was the year before. It had to be. It was the year before I was doing my national show. And um, my producer, Will, had, had, he came to me and he said, hey, do you want to get Kirk Cousins on the show? And I thought, the backup uh, quarterback? Yeah, do I want? I, I wasn't totally sure. He played sure. some that year, though. Wasn't RG3 out of yeah, the Yeah, I stretch. think he was playing a little bit. But I thought it was interesting. I was like, and I always thought Cousins was interesting. I thought, okay, well, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it, Will. And I wasn't totally sure what I was going to get from him. It was one of my favorite interviews that I ever did. I bet he was really good. I asked him. I asked him about going to Washington and being the backup and how it was perceived and all that. He could not have been more honest. I mean, he was very upfront. He was like, "I was sort of, I was disappointed when I got drafted there. I didn't want to go there to, to, you know, in the same class as a you know rookie, a guy that was drafted number two overall. I was very disappointed with that. I told the organization that, but then I got here and I started going to work." And just let my work speak for itself. I just, it was interesting to kind of go through that. But yeah, Kirk Cousins, Robert Griffin, Kirk Cousins, quarterback room against the Texans in 2014. And I think they only scored nine points that day. Johnny, I think this, it was nine points that day. So do you remember? Can you name? All right. So the Texans oh, took gosh. on Washington in 06 and 02. It's an every four years thing. I know we have the 17th game right. now, but that hasn't come into play with this right. franchise yet. So you tell me. Who played quarterback for Washington against the Texans in 06? 
Can you name that tune? Name that quarterback. Oh, six. Should I give you a hint? Yeah, I need a hint. You both were head coach at the same high school. <gasps> Mark Brunel. Mark Brunel. Mark Brunel was the starter in 2006. Yes, for Washington. Well, that see, that's the a... thing about playing an organization every four years when you play an NFC team for us or, you know, AFC playing NFC, whatever. 06, it's Brunel. Right. 2010, it's Jason Campbell, right? Nope, it's Donovan McNabb. Donovan McNabb, okay. Yeah. 2014, it's RG3. 2018, yep. it's Alex Smith. And Very 2022, it's now going to be Taylor Heineke. So Heineke will only be the second quarterback of this franchise that the Texans face that wasn't drafted in the first round. Because Brunel, Brunel was a fifth-round pick? Yeah. The Packers. That's amazing. With the yeah, Packers. that's right. He was with the Packers. So yeah. he's with the Packers, and he's just kind of languishing on the bench. With the Magic Man there. Yeah, and the Jacksonville Jaguars had made Steve Berline, not Steve, yeah, Steve Berline, the first pick of their, um, their what? Expansion draft. Expansion draft. Berline was going to be the guy, but they traded for Brunel. So Brunel comes in, Berline gets dinged up a little bit, and all of a sudden Brunel takes over. Wow. Took over for the rest of his career and ended up being the guy in Jacksonville. I mean, Brunel was Brunel was excellent in Jacksonville. I think he's one of the more underrated quality quarterbacks. And we never talk about him. Never. He went to two never. AFC championship games with an expansion team. Yes. And we never discuss him. Yes. And in Jacksonville, he's revered. He's revered. He should be. For what he did with the Jaguars back then. And he's a he's a salt of the earth guy. So he's He's revered when he goes back there, but nobody. I mean, going to two AFC Championship games, beating Denver when Denver was thirteen and three in the number one seed in '96. It's one of the great upsets of all time the in the playoffs. It was incredible. Woody Page wrote an article in the Denver Post calling him Jaguars and just blasted him. And then the Jaguars went out one thirty to twenty seven. Um, and then he went back in '99, had a team that could have won the Super Bowl. It's just a shame because man, he was really, really good. Mark, appreciate it. All right, we get back. We're going to go around the NFL, hit some news and notes, including six feet of snow expected mm. in Buffalo. That's right, six feet. We'll talk about that next right here in Texas All Access. Welcome back, everybody. It is Wednesday edition of Texas All Access. I'm John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and have never – well, I take it back. I've been in one snow game, one, and it wasn't – Terrible. It was actually sort of romantic. It was in Green Bay in Lambeau. I mean, that's that's as romantic as it gets, man. Green Bay, got a little snow going on. Got Brock Osweiler throwing dimes. Yeah, well, not, not really, but it was pretty cool to be in Green Bay in 2016 to take on the Packers. Now, that's the only snow game that I've ever been a part of. Never been to Buffalo when there has been a snowstorm, and there is a storm a-brewing heading to Buffalo this weekend, the rumored reports of the blizzard that is coming is that it will dump three to six feet on the greater Buffalo metro area, which includes Orchard Park, where the stadium is right now. The NFL is monitoring the situation. They play the Cleveland Browns. It'll still be Jacoby Brissett. Now, the, the Bills and the Colts played in a, a snowball a few years ago. And the Colts were wearing all white. It just looked weird um, and odd. At times, you could only see the horseshoe moving. But this one's against the Browns up to six feet. I don't even know. Can, can you even? I can't even fathom six feet of snow. I mean, there's no way the NFL would allow them to play, would they? 
I don't know. Either way, the NFL is monitoring the situation, and we'll see if that Bills-Browns game does indeed get moved from Sunday to Monday with the snow that is coming. Now, I know who is coming to Houston on Sunday. That's the Washington Commanders and play-by-play voice Bram Weinstein. He sits with Mark next on Man Behind the Mics on Texas All Access. We got one hour down, one hour left to go right here on Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and I am joined right now by the two men that will call the game on Sunday. Well, you know Mark Vandermeer. He's our good friend. He's been the voice of the Texans from the beginning. And Bram Weinstein, the play-by-play voice of the Washington Commanders, formerly of ESPN, but he took over as the Commanders uh, play-by-play man a couple years ago. And these two sat down, swap stories. As you heard Mark tease this interview a little bit earlier in the show, let's hear what he had to say with Bram right here. Joining us right now, Texans Radio, it's Bram Weinstein, play-by-play voice of the Washington Commanders. Bram, first I want to ask you about this. Being the play-by-play voice of the Washington franchise, how it's been for you. You've worked at ESPN. You've worked a little bit with CNN, if I'm not mistaken, a lot of different places. What's it like to be the voice of a team, particularly in the NFL? So, I mean, for me, I grew up in the Washington area and went to RFK Stadium as a kid and was a huge fan of the Redskins. And um, so this is a dream come true job. And it's it's funny, like when they hired me a few years ago, this is my third season, um, you know, obviously when I had the dream of doing it, I, I didn't know I'd call them the Washington football team or eventually the Washington commanders. Yeah. So it doesn't always end up, you know, p- playing out the way you think it's going to play out. Um, but when they hired me, I told them, I said, this is not a stepping stone job for me. I, I'm, this is a child's dream coming true. Like you're going to have to fire me and you need to know that before you hire me. Cause I'm never going to quit it. Um, and it's, so it's been an amazing, amazing experience. And I can only hope that I do it at least as long as you've done it with Houston because you're a role model for stability and seeing through eras. And I'm hoping to follow in your footsteps. Well, we've had some eras. All right. And I absolutely love doing it. I'm with you. You know, I don't, I don't want to ever leave. This is a great situation. Obviously. Let me ask you this about the nuances of play by play while the team was called the Washington football team. Did you say you must've said Washington all the time, but did you ever just say touchdown football team or something like that? How would you second reference the name? No. of the So like, um, so my first year was their first year as Washington football team. And I wanted to think about what is a touchdown call going to be? And like, it was obvious it had to be Washington. And one of the people who were kind of like my mentor slash heroes was the longtime voice of the Redskins, Frank Herzog. And his touchdown call was touchdown Washington Redskins. And so I wanted something that had a similar cadence to it to kind of do homage to him. Mm-hmm. And you can't say football team. It doesn't make any sense. We also knew it was a placeholder. So I went with touchdown Washington. And then when this year rolled around, they finally got a name. I had to like think log and hard. Am I going to change the cut touchdown call and try to incorporate commanders into it? And so far, we're just sticking with Washington because it seems to be a cure-all for it. All right, forgive me for not knowing, but is there a hail to the commander's song or something like that? Did they try to work it in? What have they done with the traditional song? Yes, there is. Um, they just reworked hail to the Redskins to be hail to the commanders. So they just brought that back. They've changed not much of the lyrics. Um, in fact, they've kept most of it. So um, if, if we were playing up here, you'd hear it. <laughs> but okay. since we're not, uh, you won't. They brought the marching band back. So they're starting to like, it, it was really important to them 
This is a 90-year-old franchise. It was really important to them with all the changes that were going to be made that just because everything was going to be new, that they didn't want to lose sight of all the history that the team had. They won world championships in the 1930s. They are three-time Super Bowl champions from the 1980s to early 90s. Just because uh, the name was inappropriate any longer and it was time to change it, they didn't want to walk away from all of that history. And I think they've done a pretty good job trying to kind of marry the two, the old and the new. Yeah, I know some of the history because I know the franchise started in Boston, right? And they played way back in the day. Those 30s championships were probably in Boston. Weren't they the Boston Braves at one point? Boston Braves turned into the Boston Redskins, um, uh, came down to Washington as the Redskins. Uh, Their championships were really shepherded by probably, it's crazy to say this now, probably the greatest quarterback in the franchise's history, Sammy Baugh who actually is a a native Texan. Um, And, you know, so they don't want to lose that. And I don't blame them because here we are, like, you you don't hear this. Most of the time you'll hear about anniversaries. This is their 90th anniversary. You would typically hear that, you know, about the team. It would be a big deal. But because they changed their name, because so much is going on with the organization, um, you're not hearing as much of that as we are locally. Ram Weinstein, voice of the Washington Commanders, with us on Texans Radio. All right, let's get into it here. Taylor Heineke, former Houston Texan. He played very briefly, just a sliver of a game here. But he was around, and he's been around the block in this league. Tell me what you're getting out of him right now. We all saw the video of him on the plane with the D lineman and the chains and everything. It just looked magnificent, really. And you're on a bit of a roll here. So what are you seeing in Heineke? Heineke has really kind of galvanized the locker room. Um, there's this like giant debate over, you know, at what point do you overlook what are the obvious like limitations in his skill set and what his ceiling is? But what really I don't think can be quantified with him is how popular he is with his teammates, what a gamer he is. He's been winning. I mean, he's eight and four in his last 12 starts. Three of them were last year when the team got shredded with a COVID outbreak, and they had like Mm. half of their roster down the stretch. Really ruined any chance for them to make a postseason run at the end of last year. Um, And he is wildly popular with his teammates. And frankly, like it has not been announced that he's going to be, as we're talking here right now, it has not been announced who's going to be the quarterback. Ron Rivera is like waiting to see Carson Wentz is eligible to come off of IR this week, broke his finger on a Thursday night game about a month ago against the bears. Um, We're not certain that he's capable of coming back and playing at this point. Even if he does, there's going to be a riot in Washington. If they pull the ball out of Heineke's hand, he has galvanized fan base. Uh, He's extraordinarily popular with his teammates. And for the things that he lacks kind of in, you know, upper level athleticism, he makes up for in moxie. He's not afraid of anything. I, I cited his record to you. Some of the quarterbacks, he just beat the undefeated Eagles. He has beaten Tom Brady. He's beaten Aaron Rodgers, beaten Russell Wilson. He's beaten Derek Carr. Like at some point, like we've kind of come to, it's time to stop talking about what he isn't and more about what he's doing and he's winning. And this team has not won a lot in recent years. There's something about him that's really resonating. Bram, tell me about the running game because that's been a problem for the Texans to stop the opponent's ground attack. What do you offer up with Washington? 
So they, they want to be a power run team. When they got on a, 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 run, a winning streak last year, that's what they became. Um, I don't know that they're as capable of doing it consistently week to week um, as they were a year ago when they had Brandon Sheriff and Eric Flowers as their two starting guards. They've had a rotation of players go in and out of their offensive line this year, partially because of age, a lot of injury. Um, so I don't think they have the front line line like they had a year ago, but they do have a different one-two punch. The rookie Brian Robinson, who you probably know, was involved in an incident in the preseason where he was shot being carjacked in the middle of the day in Washington, D.C. Um, fortunately, the bullet went directly through his leg, never hit a ligament, didn't hit anything structural, and he healed, and he's been playing. Um, couple him with Antonio Gibson, who's more of a slashing back, someone they like in space, someone they'd like to get a lot more targets with out of the backfield, but very capable runner, 1,000-yard runner from a year ago. They feel like they've got a really good one-two punch. And a week ago, they didn't care that Philadelphia knew that their game plan was to walk in and run the ball. And they ran it 49 times and handled them and had a 17-minute advantage in time of possession in the first half, 17 minutes of the first half, and really dominated Philadelphia up front. And if this is going to – if Heineke's going to remain the starter – then the likelihood of them being more run-heavy than pass-heavy is extremely high. All right, let's flip it to the defense because interior defensive linemen have been wreaking havoc against the Texans, and they've seen some really good ones. We saw Simmons recently. We just saw Dexter Lawrence. And Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen are two of the best in the league. So what about the defensive front and the rest of the unit? Yeah, the de- the defensive line – has kind of fulfilled the promise that we thought they would this year. It's really come around. Um, they, they're four former first-round picks. You may see Chase Young. He hasn't played in over a year. Um, you may see his debut. We're going to find out more this week whether he's going to play. I still think he's going to be on a pitch count. If he does play, I really don't think you're going to see a full-time participant at this point. So they've been extremely careful with him um, after his ACL and meniscus injury a year ago. Um, I would argue that John Allen and Deron Payne might be the best tandem of defensive tackles in the NFL this year. Allen is coming off a pro bowl year. He is in my opinion, having an all pro year. He's been better than he was a year ago. He is disruptive. He's got more quarterback hits than any defensive tackle other than Aaron Donald. Um, Montez sweat has come around where you're not going to see a lot of sack numbers, but he's got the most quarterback hits this year of any defensive end. They're an extraordinarily disruptive group. Um, and it is really, that's the unit everyone had hoped for a couple of years would carry them. And it's starting to play out that way. What's behind them is interesting. I mean, they thought their best corner was William Jackson. That didn't work out. They traded him to Pittsburgh. Their leading tackler, Cole Holcomb, hasn't played in three weeks. And I don't know whether he's playing this weekend either with a foot sprain. And they have somehow, even though they're thin and young at a lot of these other positions, they've kind of been able to hang in there. And going into the Philadelphia game, over the last six, they'd given up 16 points per game. So extrapolated over a season, they'd have the second-best scoring defense in the NFL. So it's keeping them in every game. And while they have these limitations on offense, and while they try to figure out how they can manufacture more points, they're in every game um, because of their defense. The weird part is they don't get a lot of turnovers. They did last week against Philadelphia, but they only had like seven coming in for the entire season and got four the other night. So they're not turning teams over very much, but it's very difficult to move the ball on them. It's very difficult to score. And when Washington controls the ball running the ball, um, it gives them an opportunity to literally be in a one-possession game every single week. 
Bram Weinstein, voice of the Washington Commanders, with us on Texans Radio. A couple more for you, Bram. A lot of people remember you from ESPN in the O's. Tell me a little bit about what that was like to work there, to be part of that whole team doing Sports Center and everything else you did there. It was a really great experience. Um, I, I kind of describe it as um, I was educated in what high-level television looks like. Um, now, the further I get away from it, the more um, I am really not only just proud of, of having the opportunity to do that, but, I mean, as you know, because you're putting together content every single day, um, and, and I do too, and we all do in, in our specific markets. What ESPN does, the quality of the quantity is what's really amazing about it, that they, there is almost nothing that comes out of that building that feels like, oh, this could have been better, oh, this could have been this, or, or it could have been that. No, it's, they are a machine and it's really amazing the level of quality that they can pump out on a daily basis. And, um, you know, Sports Center is an incredible experience. You know, it, there's kind of nothing like it. It's, you know, at least it was. I don't know if people still feel this right now, but it, it really felt like the most important studio desk you could be on in sports television. Mm -hmm. And I was very privileged to be part of it. I mean, it was a really, really, really neat experience. But I'll tell you what, I wouldn't trade it in for what I'm doing now. You know, I'm, I'm back home. I'm where I want to be. You know, I'm calling the games of the team I love. And, you know, hopefully one day, you know, we'll take a nice deep run January into February and they'll make all the whole thing worth it. Well, let's meet in the Super Bowl sometime. That would be nice. Bram, thanks a lot for joining us. We appreciate the time. Mark, thank you. Yeah, man, who wouldn't be down for that? A little Commanders v. Texans Super Bowl one day. That would be kind of nice. Well, we'll have to settle for a matchup on Sunday and every four years at that point. But at least we get to do that. All right, coming up next. Nico Collins had his second touchdown of his career. How did it happen? DP broke that down with Nico next right here on Deep Slant Interview of the Week on Texans All Access. Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. It's time to talk to Nico Collins. DP Sidhu did a little deep, deep, deep slant going deep into the second-year wide receiver out of Michigan. Here's Nico and DP. DPC, do you take it away? It's Deep Slant 101 presented by Xfinity. My guest this week, Nico Collins. Hey. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. You come Thanks back. So much. Thank yeah, you. big game. Get a touchdown. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's Felt exactly great. how you wrote it. Oh, up, yeah, right? no doubt. No doubt. Absolutely. You know, you want to come back and score. <laughs> Everybody want to get an end zone. No doubt. We, we were watching replays of it, and uh -huh. the route that you ran, you mm -hmm. didn't just go straight to the end zone. You did this little, like, Skip, Skip hop step. You had to sell yeah. it against Fabian, who uh -huh. used to be yeah. Yeah. Uh, here on the Texans. Mm -hmm. Walk us through that route, like what you were doing on that. Um, yeah, so it's pretty much just a pretty much like a in and up almost. So you want to sell the sell the in route. So I kind of hesitate off the ball a little bit. You know, made it seem like I was going to run like an under route or so, so he can bite on that. And then once I put my foot in the ground, it's kind of just you know, fight with your hands and then look up and Davis, you know, put the ball in the bucket for him. It was a perfect throw yeah. and you did sell it because yeah. you, you got him just to yes, hesitate. Man, just a little bit. Yeah, just that's a little bit. That's all you need. That's all you need. It's a little bit. All right. Yeah. So how does it feel being back? I know it couldn't have been easy to sit out oh, those yeah. two games. It feels amazing, man, to be back. You know, nobody want to, you know, miss, you know, games being injured. You know, it felt great to be out there with my teammates, man. Um, competing between the lines, you know, going out there competing on Sundays. Felt great. You know, I'm glad to be back. Now I just got to stay healthy um, and be there for my teammates. All right, I was looking at your Twitter, and mm -hmm. I have to ask you something because, okay. and and you'll see why. Okay, right. you're the the pin tweet that you have. It says "keep going, never stop," and then you have a brick emoji. Mm -hmm. Okay, tell me what the brick emoji brick. means. I mean, brick by brick. 
Brick by brick. Brick okay. by brick. Yeah. So it was kind of just me just keep keep stacking. Keep stacking the bricks. You know? Yeah. So it's like pretty much just building like like a foundation of a house or so. You okay. Know? Just keep stacking bricks. You know, just count your days. Just continue to keep going and, you know, and just keep faith in God and just keep going. You know, How, how do you think you another. stacked the bricks from last year to this year? Um, A lot, man. I feel like I learned a lot from last year and this year. Um, I feel like the game kind of slowed down for me a little bit, but it's still room for improvement on my game. So... I'm just coming to work every day, man, just working on my craft and finding the things I feel like I need to work on. I was asking Davis what he thought was improved about you from year one to year two. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says you're, how you read zone coverages, like mm-hmm. the ability to be open yeah, yeah. is where you've really excelled from yeah, last year to this year. Would you time. agree with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, coming to the NFL, you didn't know, like, how important it was to read coverages, you know, because a lot of teams disguise, you know, so once the coverage has shown – pre-snap not, might, might not be the coverage they're going to end up being in. So I feel like that was a huge step for me and still is. You know, I'm still learning to read coverages, but I feel like as a wide out, you, you know, get that part down, packing your game, man, that's going to, you know, separate you because you know where the defense is gonna, not going to be at. You know, you're going to find the holes in the defense and things like that. So I feel like um, that's a major improvement that, that I worked on um, in the offseason and continuing now. How do you do that? You just watch film? Yeah, just watch film, ask questions, because I, I remember, man, the um, first time, you know, it was last year, RP, our receiver coach, he asked me yes. what, what coverage was this. And to be honest, I was like, cover two, you know, just it was too high okay. safety, you know, just throwing out. But it was really like cover three, you know, just kind of like a disguise. And I was like, how is that cover three? You know, I really didn't understand it. So I just, you know, just put my time into it, just working, you know, just action, you know, Cooks, Phil, uh, Chris Conley when he was here. Sure. Um, you know, just guys like that, the vets, you know, that's kind of, that's going to help me, you know, understand coverages, you know, guys like that. So just having those guys in my room, man, in our room. Uh, helping out a lot. You know, how, how accessible is Lovey Smith when it comes to stuff like that? I know the media sometimes oh, yeah. on Fridays we go off the record and he gets a lot of questions about cover two and his yeah, scheme. Yeah, yeah. And he's really good at explaining like mm-hmm. the thought process behind it. But mm-hmm. is he approachable as a head coach for a oh, guy yeah. like you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. You know, as a guy, you know, you go to ask anything. I mean, know, if he's not, you can say, well, he's busy yeah, as a head yeah, coach. Yeah, you don't have time right. for that. Yeah, but. You know, he got a lot on his plate. But, sure. you know, you, know, you want to come ask him anything, you know, he's more than willing to help. He seems like he's oh, the yeah, type that you absolutely. could just hit up on the phone and, yeah, no doubt. and, and talk to. Yeah. All right. The reason why I asked you about the brick was because up in New York, uh, mm-hmm. Damian Pierce and Troy Harrison were practicing. <laughs> yes. Okay. So he said this weather is what is he? It's what is brick. He, he it's says brick. And yeah, people yeah. thought that he was trying to say brisk. Uh-huh. But uh, brick. brick is actually it has brick another. Cold. Yeah. It, it means like, it's cold. Yeah. It means like your body just numb, it's hard. <laughs> you can't feel nothing. So it's just a brick. Just a, it's a little slang word. It's not crazy though. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, I was like brick yeah, has it's, its brick. own emoji yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. got a lot of meanings. <laughs> And yeah. I felt like we had to clear that up for Damien. Yeah, like yeah, he wasn't nah. misspeaking that that's actually mm-hmm. a term. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a word. Different it's a from your different yeah. from the brick that you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. way use. different. Yeah, but you still use it though. <laughs> you can still use multiple yeah. ways to use that's, brick. Right. All right. So before you got injured, you were the leading receiver on this team. You'd mm-hmm. sort of emerged as a top threat for Davis. How surprised were you at just how involved you were in this offense? I know Lovey has talked about wanting to get you even more involved in the offense mm-hmm. in the second half. Um, you know, I'm not really surprised about it. You know, you put the work in. You know, you. Put the work in, time in, you know, and all the, you know, hard work you put in the off season and camp, you know. So you work for times like this, you know, opportunities for, you know, when the ball coming your way, you know, um, ready to get involved, you know. So you prepare for times like this, you know. So um, just my goal is to continue to keep going, keep building, and um, just continue to build trust with Davis and the coaching staff, you know, and just show them, like, the ball come my way, I can make a play for the team. I'm glad you brought up camp because I felt like in camp that's when we started noticing the way that you were able to – 
maneuver your body yes, and yes. use your size to your advantage. Uh -huh. So going against guys like Stephen Nelson, you got oh, Stephen yeah. Nelson, and, and then yeah, you've got Stanley. Derek Stingley yeah, Jr., yeah. who's oh, yeah. so good in man, oh, yeah. uh, man on man Absolutely. coverage. So just going against those guys, oh, how did man. that help you know, improve you, your game? You just going against those guys every single day in camp, man. You know, you have no choice but to get them better and, and they making you better. You know, just after every rep, you know, just asking like what you see here, what you do, you know what I'm saying, what you do differently, you know. So you just know, you know, when next time that rep comes gets an opponent, you know, mm -hmm. you know, you know how to react to it. You know, so I say we just iron sharp and iron, man. And then count I feel like everybody got everybody better. We all got each other better, you know. So and um we're just gonna continue to keep going and keep building. How about sure. the, the two games that you were out? You got to sit and watch a little bit. Yeah, How does that help a player when you – I know it's, ter it's terrible. terrible to not be on the field, uh, but I hear from a lot of players that when you play the game and then you don't play the game, yeah. that you, you see it differently, you learn differently. Were you able to get anything out of the, just sitting out those two games mentally? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I feel like it's more mental, mental thing. You know, you don't want to mentally check out because – you're going to end up returning back. So whatever, you know, the offense installed those previous weeks, you know, you want to make sure you got it down pat because a lot of it might be carryover or, you know, it might change up just one play that you knew from, you mm. know, the times you were in, were in, you know, in the game or so. So just little things like that. You got to be locked in, man. Just, just got to be ready, you know, so you come back, you don't miss a beat. All right, I gotta before I let you go, I gotta ask you about Michigan football. Oh yeah, let's go. Because they're doing, they're doing, Come they're doing. All, I mean, I'm, I went to Purdue, so I, I hate Michigan. Right but <laughs> I mean, I have to ask you. So do you do a it's lot of trash talking now here at this uh, part of the nah, college really, football season? I don't you. really trash talk, man. They, <laughs> I don't gotta talk much. You know, they the record shows it. You know, the ranking shows it. You know, so I'm glad. I'm, uh, I'm proud of them boys, man. They they've been working their tail off, man, and um, just looking for that for the game next two weeks. Last game versus O State, man. That's gonna be the game of the year. Well, I mean, I everybody hates Ohio State. Oh, yeah, so, hate you know. Got to. You yeah, know, yeah, but, you yeah. We're going to go out there, do our thing, ball. You don't need to say anything usual. to the LSU or the Alabama guys in the locker room. You know? Nah, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> just whenever they come see them boys in blue, man, just you already know what's up over here. Nico's rooting on, rooting, rooting on Michigan. <laughs> oh, Nico, pleasure. Can't wait to see what you for yes, the rest of the season. Thank you Thanks so much. much. Thank you. All right, we got one final segment of this edition of Texas All Access, and we are going to go in the lab with Drew Doherty. That's next right here on Texas All Access. We got one final segment of this edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. It's time for a little In the Lab with my podcast partner, Drew Doherty. Now, I'm going to tell you a story in this uh, edition of In the Lab about Steve Smith. Steve Smith Sr., who played for the Carolina Panthers, one of the great wide receivers that's played in this game, tremendously explosive Always good on the mic, great trash talker, but just an emotional ball player, which I always, I loved him. And I had family that lived in the Charlotte area. They don't live there anymore. They've kind of moved after graduation and sending the kids out of the house. So anyways, point being, that's the story you're going to hear a little bit later. And it is a great one. It's a great one. It reminds me of a lot of Texans players that have done things of something of this caliber uh, as well in the past. It just so happened that this one happened uh, last week when we were playing the Philadelphia Eagles. So you'll want to listen to that and the rest of In the Lab right now. Hey there, it is In the Lab time, and I'm Drew. That's John. What's going on, dude? Yeah, man, what's going on? It's a little chilly here in uh, Houston, but we're dealing with it. It's a good day in New York. It was a lot better than some of the days we had last year with all the rain and all that kind of stuff. I can handle the cold and the wind. There's no rain. I'm good. So wish we'd have had a win. I'll say this. I hate rain down on the field, but I would take rain every single road trip if it meant we were flying home with a dub. Heck yeah. Every time. That would mean you'd gone 
eight and zero on the road. This nine year? and zero this year. Nine and zero. Oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah, right. nine and zero this year. Yeah. Anywho, Texans fell to the G-Men. Those guys ran it forty-seven times Ooh. against the Houston defense. But John, the next opponent, just last night, the Washington Commanders ran the ball forty-nine times in their win over the Eagles. Forty-nine. 49. 49. They only got 3.1 a carry, but who cares? If you're running the ball that much, that means you're owning the clock, and the other team is not on the field much, unless you're like Army or somebody like that. <laughs> you're probably winning the game because if you throw it 49 times, that's usually a dub. If you're, excuse me, if you run it 49 times, that's usually a dub. If you throw it, it's almost guaranteed to be a loss when you throw it in the high 40s. I mean, how do you. How do you get around that? I mean, other than popping the ball loose, getting getting a fumble or two or a pick on the few times a team does throw it. And Taylor Heineke, he can throw some interceptions. But how do you keep a team from just gashing you over and over and over like that? Because the Texans have been run on with high volume and high success rate on those runs just about every single game this season. So just from a mathematical perspective – if you can at some point hold them and force them into punts or field goals, yeah. and then offensively you are that efficient that you're putting up touchdowns and then you make them chase, panic, and then chase you, then maybe you got an opportunity there. What you cannot let them do, it's just like a race. You can't let them get out, and even though they might be the turtle, if they get out of front in front of you and you have to go chase them, then it plays right into their hands. Taylor doesn't have to carry the offense, even though Taylor, I think, threw it 29 times, I think. Yeah, they ran 78 plays or 80 plays. That's insane. Yeah. They had the ball for 40 minutes. But what do you, every single week, send us an email or a text about one thing in particular? Turnover differential every Tuesday. It comes your way. The Texans have slunk slumped slid 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 tumbled to even now you would have thought one seven and one oh they must be like eight or nine underwater no they they don't they haven't turned the ball over that much and they haven't really gotten that many takeaways but they've been decent with ball security not as good as they were last year taking the ball away but they're tied for 14th at zero in turnover Mm -hmm. differential meaning they've turned it over as many times as they've taken it away However, Washington, John, as you saw from that email this morning, they're minus two. Right. So they, they're giving the ball up more than they get it. But on Monday night, mm-hmm. they were plus two. Yeah. They forced four Philadelphia turnovers. They dominated the ball. And, and you know what Mike Leach says about time of possession. It's just not that important. However, if Mike Leach will fight you if, yes. you if you bring up importance of time of possession. And so it's not Mike Leach, but just – in general, time of possession is not the most important thing, especially in the NFL. However, when you are somewhat effective on the ground mm-hmm. and you can keep an explosive, volatile offense on the sidelines, and when an offense comes on the field, they're turning you the ball, turning the ball over to you. That's a pretty good formula to win, and that's a stout defense, stout front. Getting some so help. they won the turnover margin. They won time of possession, which in this game was pretty important because it kept them on a side. Not only did they win time of possession, they doubled them up. 40 minutes to 19 mm. for the Eagles. They did exactly what we were trying to do on that Thursday night. 
We just allowed them too many opportunities, turned the ball over twice. We lost the turnover margin. That was the difference. Had we won a turnover margin, there was a decent shot, a decent shot to knock off the Eagles, but you didn't. And so they're, I've always said that a team takes on the personality of its coach, and Ron Rivera was a linebacker. Yep. He played hard. He was physical. He wants to see that in his team, and that's what he's got. He knows he doesn't have the absolute rock star at quarterback, but you know what he's got? He's got a good old indie band that everybody loves to see and that everybody comes out to the coffee house to listen to, and it gets the job done, and that's Taylor Heineke. Former Texan Taylor yeah, Heineke. I just compared him to an indie band, but he's done good things. Not great, good, and He's the right leader, I think, for that team right now. So uh, it's worked for them. But if you do those things, if you win turnover margin, if you can win time of possession, then that's, I think, the way the Texans would really like to play. But I think there's more there in the passing game for the Texans than maybe for the Commanders. However, Commanders have Terry McLaurin. So when they do decide to throw, they got one of the best receivers in the league catching it eight times for 128 yards. So it's not as if it was pound it for three, pound it for three, pound it for three. It was pound it for three, pound it for three, hit McLaren. Yeah. Pound it for four, get five, He's dynamic. find McLaren. He's very yeah. dynamic. So you got that going on. You're throwing Curtis Samuel in the mix, and it's, it's, it's going to be – every game in the NFL is a challenge, but this one becomes even more so because the way they want to win the game and the way they think they can win the game – um, has worked against you at times this year. The Bears did that. The Bears dominated uh, the game on the ground, and that was the only way they stayed in it. This Washington team can dominate the ball on the ground and then has the defensive front to put you in the ground, and that uh, that's what worries me a little bit about this game. Okay. Favorite memory of the last three contests against Washington, because you've won all three of them, in 10 there, in 14 here, and in – 18 there. Yep. Mine was the 101-yard mm-hmm. INT return for a score by Justin Reed. Yep. Tied, of course, with you know the Andre Johnson knockout picture yeah. where he called the touchdown. <laughs> yeah. That was in 10. Mine is in 14 because that's my first game down yeah. on the sidelines. I knew it would be. And Alfred Blue blocking a punt. How about that? Rookie was, Alfred Blue. Yeah, was massive um, because we had just scored. They had scored... I think it was Alfred Morris. I think Alfie Mo scored through a deep ball to hop. So that made it seven. I want to say we we missed the extra point. I can't remember. But it was either seven, 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 six. And then we came right around and blocked the punt. Took a lead and uh, didn't give it back. That that was Alfred Blue blocking that punt. And I, what I remember about that was that was my first game on the sideline. So I'm, always, I'm trying to figure out, like, where I need to be, where I need to go. And I was – Always with punts, I'm, I'm like, should I go down to the other end with the returner or should I stay here to make sure the punt? And I got caught in between. And so I started to walk down, and I actually heard through my headphones, I heard the double bump. You know, when you hear a block punt, you're like, is this the punter punting it and the guy blocking right. it? Right. And so I heard that. I turned around, and I heard the crowd going nuts, and then I saw us go and pick up the football, and I thought, man, okay. And then you learn things. And you're like, okay, punts, I'm staying here until the punt. <laughs> I'll do that. And it's weird because I very rarely would go behind a punt, but I did one time. That was against Tennessee when we tried to pooch it to Tennessee. Oh, yeah. And I happened to be right there seeing the ball hit Chester Rogers' foot in the rain last year. Uh-huh. And that was one of the rare times I've gone down with the returner. 
um, to see that. And it just turned out I was right there and I saw the ball hit the foot and I was telling him, I was kind of giving Mark the play by play in his ear, ball hit his foot, we're on it. And so, of course, he's like, the ball hit Rodgers' foot, the Texans are on it, first down, you know. So I always stay with the punter just to make sure it doesn't get blocked. And even if it ends up being a return, the return's got to go by me anyway, so it's not a bad place to be. But I learned it that day where I, where I needed to be on those punts for sure. Yeah, that's a good learning experience for sure. And um, you know what the Texans have never done against the Redskins? Mm, lost? They've, they've scored um, They've scored on special teams with the block punt there. They've yep. done that twice, actually. They've scored on defense with Justin Reed. Yep. They've passed for touchdowns to guys like Andre Johnson and Kevin uh-huh. Walter, Jacoby Jones, and yep. some others. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins actually has caught two touchdown passes. Yep. He had one in 18 for sure. You know what they've never done? Never run for a touchdown? They've never run for a touchdown. Oh, that's a party foul. I get, get fined for that. That's no, okay. He'll they've right. never run for a touchdown in their entire history. No, it's only five games, right. but they've never run for never a touchdown. Never run for a Washington. touchdown. Isn't that wild? Wow. Wow. Yeah. Never That's thought. a nice little nugget there. I like that. That's right. So. I like that. That's that is truly in the lab nerdness right there. That's We've what never we do. run for a touchdown. That's, what that's we pretty do. wild. That's so that's a good. little stroll down memory lane, but let's take a stroll down more recent memory lane. You had an interesting encounter with one Steve Smith that we kind of forgot to bring up recently. But yeah. tell us about this. Well, this is cool. There's one of the reasons Big we Steve Smith fan. Yeah, one of the reasons I didn't bring this up is because what happened, the, the result of what happened uh, came through on Monday night. So we played the Eagles on Thursday night, and James Palmer, who used to be at CSN Houston, has yep. been with the NFL Network since CSN Houston went away, um, is a good friend of ours and a good friend of mine. And so we get together, and we're always just chatting about things, you know, where he's been and how things are going for us. And so I was over there talking to, to James Palmer, and Steve Smith was there with the NFL Network, former Carolina Panthers wide receiver, and played with the Ravens. I've always been a big fan of his because the way he competed, of course, he was always a great soundbite, but I just love the way he competed in, in, in everything. And, you know, he had, he's got a little hothead to him, and I know that I could be that way too. So I, I just really connected with Steve for a long time. And he was with the Carolina Panthers, and my whole family lives in North Carolina. So kind of on the sly, I want the Panthers to do well. And when he was there with the Panthers, he did very, very well. So he just happened to be with the Panthers when my my brother and sister-in-law lived in Charlotte, and they had season tickets. They had season tickets from the beginning, and their kids were growing up. And they, I would see them go to games, and they were always wearing an 89 jersey. And I said, I'd seen him before, but I'm not one that usually like walks up to people and introduces myself. Mm-hmm. And so James and I were talking, and we kind of moved over, and I said, I, I said, hey, you think I can talk to Steve? He's like, oh, yeah, I'll talk to you. And I, so I introduced myself to Steve Smith. And I said, I said, I've wanted to tell you this for a long time, Steve. My nieces and nephews and my brother and sister-in-law were massive fans of yours, man. Massive fans. They were Panther. They lived in Charlotte. They've been in Charlotte for forever. They just moved. All the kids moved out. And then my brother and sister-in-law moved up to Alexandria, Virginia. But you were one of their favorites, man. Every year for Halloween, they were wearing your, they were wearing your jersey. They were going out as you Halloween. They wore your jersey in championship games. Wherever they went, they were wearing 89, man. They were just big fans of yours. And I said, I w- I've, I've been too. I said, but they were, they were really big fans. He goes, man, that's, that, that's cool, man. I, I, appreciate, I appreciate hearing that. He goes, hey. And he reached down, he grabbed a piece of paper, and he said, hey, give me their address and their names. I want to get them something. And I thought, I don't know their address because they've all moved. And even my brother and sister-in-law moved. I knew their address by heart in Charlotte, 4311 Foxcroft Lane. I knew it, <laughs> but they moved. 
And so I'm like, dang. And so I started writing my brother and sister-in-law's name down on the, on the card for him. And then I just wrote, I said, Steve, they've all moved. I said, I'm gonna, can I give you my address and I'll get it to them, whatever. Yeah, 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 man. Takes a piece of paper, you know, looked at it, put it in his pocket. I'm like, I didn't think much of it. You know, I, right. I just it was cool to meet him. And that was a story I could tell my brother and sister-in-law. thought it was cool because I know had they ever met him, they would have said the same thing. Man, we were big fans of yours. Monday night I go out, it's pouring down rain, I go out to the mailbox, and there's, I can't see in the mail, but I can tell there's something that's kind of stuck in there, and I'm like, this is a big envelope. So I get it, and I, I got mom with the dogs outside, and I can't really see what it is. I get inside, and the the return address, it's got a little, you know, they put the little return address up in the corner, mm -hmm. and it's Agent 89 Properties. And I'm like, <laughs> that's awesome. son of a bee. <laughs> I open it up, and Steve Smith had sent three autographed, personalized photos that's awesome one for my brother-in-law one for my sister-in-law and then a different one for me and it was like to john it's great meeting you steve smith age 89 and i just i was floored and it wasn't so much that it wasn't so much that you know he did it but it was just so kind i mean i was just meeting him i i, I didn't expect that at all i i mean i didn't want him to do anything like that but just to be able to say, hey, I know you guys were fans of mine, um, and that meant a lot to me. It's brilliant. Here's just a, here's just a you know, kind thing to do. I mean, put it in the envelope, send it to me in Houston, and I, I was floored. So I, so I now had to get the address of my brother and sister-in-law. Sure. So I said, hey, can I get y'all's address? And now, of course, I got to tell them, why are you asking for our address? And so then I, I typed the same story, and then I send them the two pictures. Hmm. And they're... They're older. They're a little bit older than me. It's my wife's. My wife's a little bit older than me, and those are my. That's my wife's oldest brother, and I'm sending them an autographed, personalized picture. I mean, they they were so thankful. They thought it was really, really cool, and it just goes to show, man. Sometimes you know, professional athletes, entertainers, it's good to be kind to people, man. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I didn't expect it, but Steve Smith will forever, forever. And I've always been a big fan of his, but that just you know catapulted him to. He went out of his way to do something like that uh, and send that to me so I could send it to them. I just, I was floored by it. So, AJ89, wherever you are, wherever you're listening, I'm going to put that story on Twitter so hopefully it'll at least get to his Twitter, his Twitter handle so he can see it. But, man, huge, huge thanks. That's and, an above and beyond thing because, yeah. you know, like one, one, one gesture that I've always been struck by that I'm like, this is just brilliant and it's simple and it will forever make whoever was on the other end of it, a fan of yours for life. Mm -hmm. It will all, always be your fan for life and talk about it, is when J.J. Watt started playing catch yes. before the game. Absolutely. You know, you throw a ball to, from, or you catch a ball from J.J. White, you're going to tell everybody about yes. that. He, he would throw it to opposing fans when you're mm -hmm. on the road. Right when he started doing it, like the first couple games that he did it, I think one of them was in the preseason at New Orleans. I don't know what year it was. But, I mean, he threw it up into the upper deck. Yeah. And somebody, I think, told him, like, hey, you can't do that anymore. Yeah. Somebody's yeah. <laughs> going somebody's gonna to run. Somebody's going to fall over, right. die, and you'll never forgive yourself. And so, right. yeah, he stopped doing that. He kept it in the first row. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, just simple stuff like that, and it, it created a big scene. But, man, Steve Smith, that's that's going above and beyond because, A, you know, you got to give that to somebody to have it sent back. And right. da, 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 and He's yeah. got to mail it out. Yeah, that was really cool. I mean, I don't even part. do that for my own family to mail stuff out. <laughs> and here he is, send, you know, sending out. And I just, 
Now I'm a Steve Smith fan. For, I was always, I was, I, I was already just, thinking favorably. I'm, I mean, I'm one of the kind, one. one of the most kind things anybody's ever done is what JJ Watt did for my son. I mean, we, it, yeah. one of these days on the pod, maybe in the off season, we'll talk about those sort of things because I think you know people have this perception of you know of athletes and you know making a lot of money and they're into themselves and that, but and there are a few of those guys out there. But for the they're for kind the of most exceptions, part, yeah. To yes, it all. for the most part. The, the players in the NFL, the people in this building, people in a lot of NFL buildings, man, the time they give, the the, the effort that they make for fans, for people, it just, it's just incredible. I mean, I was I was blown away. So, uh, Steve Smith will always be, uh, he'll always be one of those guys. I mean, he, he goes into a higher level for just doing something. What seems simple, like you said, to go find a picture, put them in an envelope, address it, to me, send it off. It all t- that. It takes just, some time. Yeah, yeah it's, absolutely. So, yeah. good stuff, Steve Smith. Thank you. Yeah, man. Being kind to people is something that we ought to do just on the regular. I know. I always think of that. Think of that to myself, man. I got to be more kind. I'm driving, and people don't do exactly what I want them to do. I don't need to lose my my. You know what? I, I think we could all be a little bit more kind, especially at this time of year, man. Where we got holidays, giving thanks, all that kind of stuff. So. You know, be kind. Rewind. I mean, well, that used to be Blockbuster saying, but just, you know, be kind to people. Be nice. And for Steve Smith to have done that for myself and for my extended family was was very, very cool. And I'll always be appreciative uh, of that. There's no doubt. And like I said, there have been plenty of Texans over the years that have made gestures of that same quality. I mean, my man J.J. Watt ended up getting a half dozen pair of shoes uh, for my for my son. Uh, many, many years ago. And, you know, when J.J. retires, I'll tell that story again. Uh, but it was a pretty incredible one. So we've had players throughout. And like I said, there are always stories out there about this guy did that and this guy did a bad thing, this guy did a bad thing. There are a lot of really good dudes in the NFL and good dudes in this league and in the NBA and in Major League Baseball, in all sports, in college sports. And sometimes we talk too much about the bad seeds. Well, I know that Steve Smith, uh, he was a good seed that night to me, and I really appreciate that. And I appreciate you guys. For listening. And a big thanks to Nico Collins and to DP Sidhu and to Drew Doherty and Mark Vandermeer, Bram Weinstein, Nick Casario, and you guys for listening. Couldn't do it without you. Thank you so much. We will see you tomorrow right here. Same bad time, same bad channel. And as always, go Texans.